Welcome to this new episode of the House of Trust. My name is Sivan, and together with you and my uh, guest, we're exploring and thinking out loud about the conditions and mental models that help impact leaders and people who love to invest in positive social and environmental change to collaborate, to trust each other, and to do more great work. The world changes fast, and on top of that, we face the heavy burden of uncertainty. We can't control everything. Well, that's not new. And yes, there are times where investors themselves also have to acknowledge this and relinquish power and control. But how do we do that? To explore this topic, my thinking partner today is Chantelle Wilkins. She's an advocate and supporter of an inclusive culture. She works for the empowerment and advancement of children, young adults and women of color, early childhood education, youth character development, Nonprofit capacity building and STEAM initiatives. STEAM stands for science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Chantelle has an extensive experience in private foundations and charitable trusts. For 11 years, she worked at the Boeing Company in San Antonio as the global corporate citizenship community investor. She's now contributing to the efforts of the Kronkowski Charitable Foundation, a regional foundation investing in initiatives in several counties of Texas, USA. So, Chantelle, does philanthropic investment have any secret for you? Oh my gosh, what a great question. I don't think there's a secret. I just think there is an understanding, right? It's all about showing up for people and listening intently and intentionally and hearing their stories. Because at the end of the day, it's their businesses, not ours. If we truly trust them to do the work, then we should allow them to do the work without making it cumbersome. Wonderful. So listening and trust that's coming up straight away. This is at the core of what we're trying to uh, to discuss here. So tell me, what, what what emerged from all your your time spent in philanthropy? Do you have stories that stand out that that really really you know <laughs> have your eyes wide open and as if you were learning something new? Yeah, sorry for Yeah, I, you know what? I learn something new every day in this space. Uh, whether it's with nonprofits, um, administration, board members, staff, even with my colleagues and others at other investment um, organizations, I call them investments because that's what we're doing. We're investing in things. We don't we don't give out money. We don't donate. We invest. Okay. And so I learn new things every day. The challenges that some of them are facing, the challenges that philanthropy is going through right now. This is some of the most quick turnaround I think we've seen when it comes to philanthropy you know philanthropy used to be really slow <laughs> you know especially right. corporate philanthropy things used to move extremely slow and you just kind of got used to the pace uh-huh. uh, now things are moving quickly so you know you see organizations understanding that they need to reflect the communities they serve right and so those conversations directly having those with agencies and other funders has been very interesting and the acknowledgement that they know they have to do it but then also saying out loud to you, because you built this trust-based relationship, I don't know how we do it. I don't know how we become more diverse. I don't know how we become younger. I don't know how we start to reflect the communities that we're looking at. Mm. I don't know how we connect with the next generation of funders because the ones they're used to working with are retiring, 
you know, are moving on to other interests. And so the next generation, they're, they're, the things they're interested in are just not the same as their parents and grandparents. So there is a struggle right now for leaders. And, you know, I had one conversation, I'll give you one story. I was talking to one organization and I said, you know, I said, what are you doing to diversify? And the organization said to me, oh, well, we have, and it was an arts organization, we're bringing in a, a, a bunch of Black shows. I was like, that is not, that is not what I asked you. I was like, that is not diversifying. That's adding to your program list. That's not diversity. Okay. And they were proud. They were literally proud of that statement. And I was like, yeah, I, okay, we're going to have to, let me rephrase the question. Then <laughs> perhaps we can get to an answer. So how do you do, how did you rephrase it? What, how did you pass on the message? So I said, I, I was very direct and I said, look, that's not diversity. I said, diversity is when you look at the audience and you actually listen to what they're telling you and you reflect what they want, not what you think is best. Understanding an arts organization, but there's different narratives and stories to tell. Who's telling the story? Who are the storytellers? Mm. That's what people want to hear. There's a lived experience that's unique to storytelling that you don't get if you've never been through it. And at some point they were like, oh, and I mean, all of the people in the room were white. They, there were no people of color on the staff or on the board. So for them, that was diversity because they had no one with a lived experience that could tell them otherwise. Mm. So I took that to mean to me, it is my duty because I have this seat at the table to help them understand that's not what that means. Mm. So when you have this conversation, I heard you say the word trust-based you know, relationship and, and by extension, trust-based philanthropy. How does that work in practice? But it, it's a trend, isn't it? But I hope it's it there to stay. But how do you materialize that? How do you make it stay? How do you implement that trust-based philanthropy? Well, uh, there's a sense of vulnerability, right, in trust. You know, for us, you know, you come in as a funder, people see you as, a, you know, the big fat funder. They want to put their best show Forward. It's a dog and pony show you They're cleaning up. They're doing all these things to present to you what they, what they think you want to see. Mm. Um, and a lot of times they're not showing up authentically who they are as individuals, mm. right? They're showing up as the organization, forgetting that, hey, you're the people on the front lines doing the work. So when we show up, it's different to ask somebody how your day is going versus how are you doing? So we ask the question, how are you doing? Mm. Oh, you know, well, the, the organization's doing great. I think that, that's not the question. How are you doing? Because we know the burden of this work and it's hard not to take it home sometimes depending on the space they're in in the nonprofit world. And we've had people cry. We've had people like start crying in the meetings because they're like, no one's ever asking that. And we're like, well, if you don't take care of yourselves, then you can't take care of the populations that we're investing in you to serve. So you kind of have to make sure that you're at your best in order for you to really honor and to do what your mission states you have set forth to do. So then very interesting human conversations and not business conversations. Especially we get to the business aspect, hmm. but we have to deal with the human first. And I think that's how you build the trust is you show up vulnerable as a human, they show up vulnerable as a human, and then you have a human conversation that eventually leads to the business side of it. Mm. So what does it take for the investors eh, or the philanthropists to do more of these human conversations, to engage more in them? In your oh, they have to be willing to be vulnerable. Um, they have to be willing to be open. And they have to know that at the end of the day, these are people running a business. And 
if you put an investment into an organization, it's not your job to be in the day-to-day. Just like the board of directors, not their job to be in the day-to-day. That's why you hire a president, CEO, or an ED to do that work. But you have to give them the space just like you would any trusted, for example, a parent and a child. They're going to make mistakes because they're human. But you don't penalize them for those mistakes. Mm-hmm. You don't go and looking for aha moments. Mm-hmm. You have to manage, at the end of the day, they're trying to do good work. And it is a struggle. And the struggle is real. And we as investors and philanthropists have to understand that. And be willing to meet them where they're at. You know, and show up and say, hey, have you thought about this? These are some things you need to think about. Again, this is your business. I'm not telling you how to run it. But we're making suggestions and it's up to you what you want to do with this information. But you have to show that you trust them. Because if you don't give them that, that space of trust and, and the ability to fail, because you learn from failure, no one's perfect. Mm. So give them that space. And well, I call it, the, you know, the gracious space. I don't like to say safe space because my space, my safe space is very different from everybody else's. Mm-hmm. But give them the grace. To, to have failure and to learn from it. It's hard, but you have to do it. So that's wonderful because it gives me uh, yeah, another hook for something that's quite prevalent. If we talk about outcomes and sometimes, you know, we know that some philanthropists are very focused on certain outcomes, but based on what we see and what you just said as well, you need to give grace to uncertainty and we can't control outcomes all the time. And we've got a direction, but we can't control outcomes. So we can control activities and outputs in a way, but the outcomes, no. So what's your take on that? Yeah, so I think everybody has goals, right? I think for us as investors and funders, you need to make sure that you're addressing aspirational goals versus realistic goals, right? Okay. So some organizations, there's, we know there's founders out there that are very passionate about their work and you know they're the only ones doing it. And you're like, no, you're not the only ones doing it. There's other people doing the work, maybe a little different, but you're not the only one in the space. So I think just helping them understand it's okay to have aspirational goals, but you need to be, be real realistic about what you can accomplish. Mm-hmm. And there's certain things you have to think about as an organization, right? We're in this whole point where people are re- evaluating their lives and they're having these epiphanies of god I don't know if I want to continue to do this work and this has become a mental strain on me and my mental health has you know been impacted by this and what am I doing why am I still doing this you know why I'm in this rat race so I think for us we have to start understanding the the, again and we have the human piece of it at the end of the day right and how do you give grace for that human factor you can't as you said in poetry you can't control it now, you can put what you think is going to happen in place and you can work toward it. But if you don't get there, you have to look at it as a, as a lesson learned, not that, oh, my God, we're, you know, we didn't accomplish it. The funder's going to be mad. But you as, a, as an organization have to level set at the beginning and say to the funder, these are our aspirational goals. But here's the realistic approach that we're looking to take to get there. And hey, funder, we get, we're in our own niche. We're in our tunnel vision sometimes. What do you see? Now, for us, we see things in our region. We get to talk to other funders across the globe. So we say, hey, these are things we're seeing. Have you thought about this? Hmm. So it really needs to be the outcomes are great, but what is the realistic way for you to reach these? Is it even possible, especially with the pandemic and people leaving and people resigning and people retiring? Hmm. These are impacts to your business and to what you're trying to accomplish that they don't anticipate sometimes, but you need to make sure that your investors know that this could potentially happen while we're doing this project that you so graciously funded for us. Right. So it tells us a lot about letting go of control, especially when systems and context change. 
And are we still talking about the investors here as well? <laughs> yes, yes, I think definitely we're and talking about both. Netting change. It's a hard change. thing to do. It yeah. is, especially for corporate funders. You know, being in Boeing and um, Bank of America, the, the corporate aspect is hard to do because corporate's very cut and dry. You know, oh. it's very, you know, black and white. We do this, we don't do this, right? Foundations are different because there's they're people's personal passions. So you're able to do religion, other things you can't do in corporate philanthropy. Mm. Passions are messy. They don't stay in the containers, right? Yes, <laughs> I love it. that. Yes, All right. they are. Okay. So, Chantal, when we met earlier this year at, at the Biomed Conference in Texas, yeah, there was a topic that we, uh, we shared, and it was all about how to, you know, if we reimagine what philanthropic dialogues could look like. And, and I think it's, I'd love to ask you, Again, this question based on what you've just said, you know, if then philanthropy is reimagined and this dialogue and this conversation where grace shows up and we relinquish control <laughs> in a way. Right. So what does philanthropic dialogue looks like when we imagine it? Oh my gosh, there's so many possibilities. Philanthropy is starting to take a new and fresh look, right? There's a new generation of philanthropists that are that are coming forward. And for them, the priorities are different. And, um, you know, previously you'd see their parents and grandparents, it was all about the arts, right? You know, there's your symphonies and those things. And you, you invested in programs because you wanted your name on it or you wanted to be associated with great programs happening. Hmm. that's not the case so much anymore, right? I think for us to reimagine the conversation, we have to go in and ask organizations and their leaders and their board, what is it you need? Where are the gaps in what you're doing? Or do you have challenges in, in recruiting and retaining human capital? Are you having challenges raising funds? What does it look like for you, right? And then then those conversations around diversity and, you know, everybody always thinks diversity has to do with ethnicity or, you know, sexual orientation, all these other things. No, diversity, it comes in how you do business as well. We ask, are you looking at your suppliers? Mm. Are your suppliers diverse? Are you sticking with the same people that you always go with? And those are people that look like you because you're comfortable mm. in that space and having those conversations. And that really forces people to think, oh my, especially some of the bigger nonprofits, oh my gosh, I never thought about, you know, diversifying my business. Mm. I'll give an example. We had one organization that focused on autism here in San Antonio, and they were talking about, they had, they had pretty diverse. They had one woman from Mexico, and there were a couple of other staff members that come from different backgrounds and different walks of life. And they said, you know, we, we really want you to come in as you, Chantel, and talk to us about what diversity looks like. And I represent the organization, and I said, okay, I can do that. And they said, well, we don't understand, we're having a challenge, I would say understand, but having a challenge with diversity in the autism space. I said, well, do you know the history of the American Disabilities Act? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we know it. I said, but no, 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 do you know the history? And they're like, yeah, we know it. So sure enough, I show up and I open up the history and I said, did you know that the American Disabilities Act, the foundation was cut, came off the Civil Rights Act? No one in the room knew that. No one in the room knew that, but they were adamant that they knew the history of which the organization they have was founded on, the American Disabilities Act. Hmm. I said, do you know some of the early pioneers in this space? Oh, yeah, 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 I know we know them. No, do you know like all of them? And they're like, no, we didn't know. So I brought up some names of people that, that worked alongside 
those trying to establish the American Disabilities Act in which the civil rights law was built on and how they had to partner in order to get traction. Mm. No one in the organization had any idea. I said, do you realize when you go to meet someone with a disability that they're coming from a different lived experience? A person of color with a disability is going to have a different experience than someone that is not. Mm. And they're like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't really think about that. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying to explain to you is there's more aspects to this diversity piece than you're giving attention to. Mm. So when you reimagine what the conversation's like, it's changing the narrative and empowering those that know it and live it to speak their own truth. You don't need to speak it for them. Mm. I had one CEO who's, who leads the major organization here. I won't say the name. And he said to me, you know, I'm working with this organization. It was the white man. He goes, I'm working with this organization of, of women, they're called links, this organization of, of black women, women of color, just they're judges, they're lawyers, they're like, these are career women, you know, they're, they're bosses in their own right. He goes, I'm trying to, you know, give them a platform. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you know, do you know the history of this organization? They don't need you to give them a platform. What they need you to do is get out of the way. Mm-hmm. They can speak very well for themselves. They can articulate their struggles. They can articulate the narratives themselves. What people have to start realizing is that give people control of their own narrative. Mm. So when you're talking to other people, let them tell their own stories. If you're going to tell their stories, then ask them how they want their stories to be told. Mm. Right? Nowadays, people don't want to hear, I'm impoverished, low income, low socioeconomic status. Those are dehumanizing and institutionally racist. Mm. This is not something most people choose to be right? Mm-hmm. So you, people want to be known as underrepresented, un- underestimated, undervalued, under-resourced, because that is the truth of their situation. Mm. Yes, Chantel, this is so true. And, and there's that, the, the, the precision of language uh, stands out from what you're saying. Having a, the right language is also a grace in itself, isn't it? Yes, it is. So uh, when we when we met like earlier this year, there's something you said you had um, the five R's uh, toolkit. If you want to reimagine, and then I guess you reiterated that in in through the, your your stories today. If you want to reimagine what philanthropic dialogues could look like, you need to reassess, reimagine, redefine, reeducate, and reenergize. And God, I love that. Last bit because this is what you are personifying. <laughs> Thank you. And the be firmly, firmly that that firm presence of yours. So I wonder, Chantel, if you've 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 had a, a sort of a, you've been round the block and back in philanthropy, and uh, and took different different streets around. And I wonder, for your next you know your next ten years, I wonder what question. Would you like to 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 hold hand to you know, and oh, to wow. guide you and or at least uh, for the first block of the next walk around philanthropy? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. There's so many. <laughs> oh, oh, so if I had to pick one, I would say the one thing I would want to um, the question I would have is, I have an 11 year old son, so I would look to him and his friends and his generation. Again, I don't know it all, right? I know, I know what's happening in this space, what I experience right now, but yeah. my question would be to ask the generations that are, that are coming after me, mm. what do you see? You know, what are your passions? What are, what are the things that 
that sometimes we ask our agencies, what keeps you up at night? Mm. I mean, it's my 11 year old. He, he's like a, he's 11 going on 90. He, <laughs> sometimes like he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulder. Oh, God. Yes. I he, we have some, yes. And we have some very um, interesting and philosophical conversations, you know, He's saying to him, he talks about the school system doesn't challenge him enough and he wants to figure out how to start businesses at 11 so that he can not be in school because he doesn't feel like it's productive. Won't they try anything they can to do that? Won't they try I've got a 12, I've got, I've got a 12 year old going on 13 and he's like, yeah, I want to do this and this is, yeah, being an entrepreneur is cool and yeah. But he doesn't know. He's got the time of his life now and doesn't know it yet. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Yes. Mine is living his best life as well. It's very interesting. But um, yeah, I think for me, I don't I don't know the questions to ask because the future, like I said, is, is just so fluid right now mm. in a lot of spaces, including philanthropy. So I, I would have to ask those coming behind me, you know, what questions do I need to be asking? What do I need to be thinking about? Because I know, I know my own lived experience. I definitely know it. I know what I'm, I'm up against, you know, as, as an individual, as a philanthropist, but I don't know what they see, right? Because they're looking from a different lens than I am. So I, I, I don't know if I can carry a question forward without asking, you know, those that are coming behind me, what can I do to make this trail easier for you? That would be the question I'd carry forward. Asking those Dang. that are coming behind me, the next generation philanthropist, what can I do right now to set the stage for you? Mm. I love how you landed with the question and in all that fluidity you landed and you you are you own the question that you will be carry out fantastic Chantel it's been a pleasure uh exchanging with you and hearing your thoughts about how philanthropy is evolving the opportunity uh to you know let people express themselves and not give them a platform because the platform is what they build themselves and have more grace in all of this and and ask, keep asking question, keep asking question without having necessarily the answers. I hope I heard it right. <laughs> no, you. That was beautifully summarized. You, you, you know, it's my first meeting. You do a wonderful job of just summarizing all of the information you hear. It's amazing, mm. and I, I thoroughly enjoyed this as well. Thank you for the invitation to have a conversation. I love it, and I'm so excited to have participated in this with you. Oh, thank you, thank you, Chantal. Chantal. I would love to come back to you, you know, in a few months and, and just and have a check in with you just to see what questions did you ask and what answers did you get? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I would. Yes, I would definitely love to do that, please. And, and I encourage people in, you know, listening to us right now just to probably set yourself that question, you know, ask that question. Use the question that Chantel designed for herself and for you and or come up with your own question. What question would you like to ask to the people who are coming right after us? Or maybe before us. I don't know which which direction we're going right now. Actually, I, I don't either. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look back and hope that I can blaze a trail for someone that makes it a little bit easier. Because the one in front of me is daunting right. some days. So That's if right. I can make it less daunting for someone coming behind me, I'm I'm all in. I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and do the work. As someone who who I, I was I, I talked to her for this podcast, they mentioned something like collateral beauty, and I just. Uh, that's what you just inspired me right now. I love that. I I'm definitely that. going to benchmark it. I'm going to benchmark that term because I love it. Woo. Let's do that. Chantel, <laughs> thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you.
Join me in the next episode of Be and Think in the House of Trust. I'll be sharing a thinking environment with Kevin Withain, the founder of Diversity X. Diversity X is a seed stage venture fund to support underestimated founders of purpose-led startups that seek to make the world a better place and also take startups that seek to address issues that hinder diversity, equity, and inclusion. And with Kevin, we'll explore how investors and funders can build something special, how they can contribute to investments that are much bigger than themselves. It's imagining investors contributing to pieces of work that could be a legacy of another type, something like cathedrals, transcending structures that we all bring a stone to and help build collectively and rise high without expecting immediate rewards. Very juicy conversation. So the show is available to listen to on your usual podcast platforms. For more insights, resources and opportunities, and even if you want to develop thinking environments for yourself and your team, to design a new project or something different, powerful and relevant, head to my website, servanemoison.co.uk and subscribe to my regular updates. See you next time.